The following is a message from Westminster Seminary, California. For more information about this message or Westminster Seminary, visit us online at westcal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. That's online at wscal.edu or call us at 760-480-8474. Let's pray. Almighty God, who spoke into nothing all that is, Almighty God, who is from everlasting, Almighty God, who simply is, who said to his servant, tell them, I am has sent you. The God who is, and the God who makes that which is nothing into something. We come before you in the name of Jesus Christ, God the Word incarnate, our mediator. We ask you to hear our prayer. And bless our meditation on the word inspired, inerrant, and infallible given through your servant John. Hear our prayer. Forgive our sins. Work in us by your powerful, creative, and recreative Holy Spirit. For Jesus' sake. Amen. You may be seated. So this semester the faculty is meditating on the Gospel of John. And I know that... uh, Professor Johnson has already done some work on John 1, but I wanted nevertheless to meditate with you on the prologue a little bit more, John 1, 1 through 3, just because I think it's so important that we let this text sink in, that that we uh, let it marinate or that we meditate that we dwell uh, on it, and that more and more it dwells in us. Uh, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. This one was in the beginning with God. Everything that occurred, occurred through Him, and without Him, nothing occurred without Him. Nothing Nothing which occurred, occurred. Without him, thus far, John one one through three. This uh, this is a prologue. It's an introduction to uh, to characters. This text is so familiar we may uh, we may run past it, but we shouldn't run past it because he's laying a scene. He's setting a scene for us. Right. Think about the diff- just to, to to sort of orient yourself. Think about. Um, the way the other Gospels begin. Matthew begins with a genealogy, so it begins right in uh, redemptive history and creative history, right? Creation and redemption uh, in time and space as we know it, right? It's very earthy in that sense. Mark begins with uh, the preaching of the baptizer. Again, right smack in history. Luke begins uh, with a, a word of preface to his intended, his primary intended reader, Theophilus. Again, rooting us right in concrete, particular history. And John begins, NRK, Ain Ho Logos. Completely different. John begins, uh, NRK. When is NRK? What is NRK? Well, John assumes that we know he takes us to a point John takes us to 
Not a point in time, not a time, but before time. He takes us to a point, as it were, and now we're talking about pre-temporal reality, and so when I say a point, that's a way of speaking, right? You understand that. We're saying things now about something that we don't really understand. So we, we ha- but we have to use some language, don't we? I mean, what is eternity? Who here has visited eternity and returned to explain it to us? I've been to Europe, and I've been to the UK, and I've been a lot of places in the United States, and I can tell you about some of those places I've been because I've seen it, I've experienced it. But I haven't experienced eternity, and I don't think anyone here has. So when we say, when I say a point, that's a way of talking. But we're talking about the absolute beginning. And of course, the language is intentionally evocative of Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. When was that? Well, it was when there was God and nothing. That's almost impossible to imagine. One of the uh, more interesting uh, exercises that one of my old teachers did when I was a student was to say, close your eyes and try to imagine nothing. So let's do that. Close your eyes and try to imagine nothing. You can't do it. The minute you try to imagine nothing, it becomes something. And something isn't nothing. We're talking about something that transcends really our capacity to fully understand. We can apprehend truths about it, but we can't get our arms around it. Just to close our eyes and try to imagine nothing, we make that into something. Why? Because we're creatures. We're finite. There was when we were not. But according to John, there never was when the Logos was not. The Logos just was. So there are three W's that I want you to see this morning. And First is, is was, second is with, and third is worked. Was, with, and worked. The Logos was. In the beginning, the Logos was. He just was. He wasn't if something else. He just was. We are if, someone, if something else, right? Theologians call that contingent. We are contingent. We are dependent. If my parents don't meet where and when they meet, I wouldn't be. And the same is true for you. Everything that you know and touch and taste and feel as true and real as it is, and we'll come back to that, that's something that I think John actually wants us to understand. Everything that we know and touch and taste and sense with our senses, as real as it is, might not have been. But that can't be said of the Logos. The Logos just was. He wasn't was if, or if was, or if then, he just was. You have to think about that. NRK ain't whole Logos. NRK ain't whole Logos. In the beginning was the Logos. He just was. And notice how often John uses that ain, right? And the logos ain prostan theon. The logos was toward or with theos. 
He was with God. He was in the same way God was. John's invoking or evoking something that he, he understands that we already believe. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning, God was. And John says, I want to add a layer to your understanding of that. I want to add a layer. I want you to understand that when God was in the beginning, the, uh, the Logos was as well. And what can be said of the Logos can be said, or what can be said of Elohim can be said of the Logos. What can be said of Elohim can be said of the Logos. As eternal and immutable and simple and impassable and immense and holy and righteous and glorious and beautiful. All of those things that we know from, from the Hebrew scriptures about Elohim, about Yahweh, about El Shaddai, those things are all to be predicated of the Logos. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And, and then to reinforce that, and the Word was God. Not became God, not divine, Moffat is wrong. Not like God, God. How can that be? John isn't worried about that. It's just true. John draws us into a, a world that we can barely even begin to conceive, and he just blows up our whole way of looking at things and says, I don't really care if this is problematic. I want you to, I want you to think about this. I want you to understand this. I want to draw you into a, a world that you've never even really considered this way was. And we've already seen it here. With the logos who was is consubstantial, as we say, with Theos, but he is personally distinct from Theos. That's the force of prostantheon. He's personally distinct. He is a person. He's not a universal principle. The amazing thing, one of the most amazing things about this uh, prologue is that John in, in, uh, invokes this term that was freighted with philosophical usage or philosophical understanding for hundreds of years before he used it. The Stoics considered the Logos the universal rational principle, and if you would rightly order your life and bring your life into uh, conformity with the nature of things, the physics of things, uh, to, uh, you would, you, you would be a, live a contented life. What we call happiness, success, seven principles, highly effective people. Bring yourself into conformity, into alignment with the nature of things. And how do you do that? You do that by coming in to some apprehension of this universal rational principle, the Logos. Is that what John means? Is this... Is this Logos that universal rational principle? Well, Justin said so, but he was wrong. This one was anarche proston theon. This one, not, not a universal rational principle, but this person. Theos is a person, and Logos is a person. 
He's a particular concrete individual, not a universal rational principle. He's not even Philo's abstract ideal being. There's nothing abstract about anarche enologos. It's, it's painfully particular. It's pointedly particular. It's intentionally particular. So John takes this loaded word and he begins his gospel with it by tipping it up, as it were, and dumping out everything that had been in it for hundreds of years. And then he loads it up within the beginning. Elohim spoke into nothing and made all that was. And there was the Father, there was Theos, and there was Logos, and they were together in the beginning. And he's completely unconcerned. He isn't worried about any of the questions that troubled Bultmann. Gnosticism doesn't exist yet. It won't exist really in any meaningful way until the middle of the second century. He has a whole other agenda. He was, the Logos was, and the Logos was with. He's personal. He's communal. Theos and Logos communed together from all eternity. We're given this sort of snapshot, a fuzzy snapshot of pre-temporal divine communion. No details. We don't know what was in that communion. We don't even know that communion the way they knew that communion. We just know that the communion was. But isn't it glorious to know that there was a communion from all eternity between these two divine persons? The God we know is a God who is in himself multipersonal, and the story will become more elaborate. Personal in, the, in John's gospel is not an abstraction. You can't equate personal with a single person. John, as he begins to ask us to think about God being personal, from the very beginning, it is multipersonal. The God of the Johannine Gospel, the God of the New Testament, is a personal God, but he's a multipersonal God. God is not one person, never has been one person, can't be said to be one person. He is multipersonal. And as we say, he is one God in three persons. The Trinity is not a second blessing. It's a fundamental biblical truth. That's why we confess it. Finally, the, the word does more than simply commune. The word is, but the word is not static. The word is active. The word is powerful. The word is creative. Everything which occurred, occurred through him. And just to make sure that we don't misunderstand what he's saying, nothing that happened happened without him. He was an absolutely essential co-creator. I don't like, agency would be right, but it's somewhat misleading and, and maybe causes people to think in Aryan terms. The Son is not mere agency. 
He's co-creator. He's co-eternal. He's co-personal. He's co-creator. He's active. He's powerful. The world that in which we exist, and this is one of the things I hit on at the beginning, is the world that came into existence through the word. Reality as we know it was given to us by the Logos. It's not alien to him. It's not dirty. It's clean. It's not intrinsically broken. It's good. The same Logos of whom we read here was in the beginning and when Genesis says, and it was Tov, who do you think it was who who said it was Tov? Who do you think it was who said it is good? Master, we would see the Father. Son, if how long have you been with me? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Creation is mediated through the Son. He's mediator and Lord and sovereign creator over all that is. This world is not dirty. It may be broken now after the fall. It may be corrupted after the fall. But created material reality is not intrinsically evil. How do I know that? Because the Word, who is consubstantial with the Father, made everything that is. And He is good. He's not a demiurge. He's not a sub-deity. John doesn't tell us everything here in this prologue. It's a prologue. He's just setting the stage. What a remarkable setting of the stage it is. Whatever transpires hereafter, verse 3, and the story begins to unfold very quickly, as Dr. Johnson has already indicated. The story begins to unfold very quickly. The, the sun will not remain. The logos will not remain. The word will not remain remote. But the word will enter in to human history in the most remarkable way, but in the most earthy way. A virgin will be having in the womb. God the Son took on humanity, as you know, and he gestated. If I, if I only knew that, I could tell you the Gnostics and the dualists and the neo-pagans and the paleo-pagans are all wrong because God the Son was in the womb of the virgin. And he was born. She had to push. It wasn't magic. It was real. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was God. And the Word was with God. And nothing came into existence that has come into existence except through the Word. And that is the Word who became incarnate. That's our God. That's our Creator. And that is our Redeemer. Let's pray. Father, we do give you great thanks. 
Son, we adore you for entering into history. And Holy Spirit, we honor you and worship you. Almighty triune God, creator, sustainer, redeemer, sanctifier, and glorifier. Grant us grace to believe your word and to incorporate it into our thinking, that we may begin more and more to see this world as you would have us to see it, to see ourselves and our redemption, our lives, and our futures. For Jesus' sake, amen. Copyright 2013, Westminster Seminary, California. All rights reserved. You are permitted to reproduce and distribute this material in any format, provided that you do not alter the wording in any way and that you do not charge a fee beyond the cost of reproduction. For web posting, a link to this document on our website is preferred.